live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us during the 1 o'clock hour of the program. We're going to have a special Memorial Day-related segment. It's been a tradition here at WTMJ. We've been doing it for years and years. I continue it this year. Pop Culture Corner coming up a little bit later in the program as well. We will have kind of a fun program today. There's lots of diverse stuff, but I want to start... I want to start with something that happened yesterday involving the city of Milwaukee. Most of the state is opening up. Vast majority of the state is opening up. The exceptions are Dane County, where actually there's very, very few new cases of COVID-19. But Dane County being Dane County, they've got this program that essentially if you look at it and they continue to follow it, I'm not sure the state, I'm not sure the community is ever going to open up until they have a vaccine. And then you have Mayor Tom Barrett who comes out yesterday and he says, nope, we, we are essentially following the rejected guidelines from the the badger bounce back plan and we're we're not close to being allowed to really reopen the city in the same fashion that um most of the suburbs and certainly most of the surrounding counties have have done mayor says we're just not ready for this because of the circumstances and the numbers etc etc you know that that's that's what he says and and that's that is all well and good so the result of this is for example this evening if you want to go out to Waukesha or go to Ozaki County or go to Washington County or even go to a lot of the Milwaukee suburbs, you are going to be able to you know, walk into a bar and you're going to be able to sit down. You're going to be able to order yourself a beer. There's going to be different rules that are in place and you're going to have to comply with them, but you're going to have the opportunity to do that. You're not going to have the opportunity to do that in the city of Milwaukee. You can get a haircut, which is an interesting sort of thing because... You can't get a beer, but you can get a tattoo, you can get your nails done, and you can get a haircut, which to me I think reflects less on science and more on the political clout that that some businesses might have in the city of Milwaukee. But regardless, the the mayor says we are not ready to open up. And if you look at the numbers, you can understand where he's coming from to an extent. Now, let me just kind of back into where I'm going with this. There are 5.8 million people in the state of Wisconsin, and as of like yesterday, we had approximately 13,885 total cases of COVID-19. So let's round up to 14,000. In, in a state of, of 5.8 million, your chances of getting coronavirus statistically are not that great. That, that's just that's the bottom line, but you don't want to get it. And um, of the people who get it, most people end up recovering unless you're in one of those targeted high at risk groups, which tells me moving forward what we need to concentrate our resources on is, again, trying to keep 
Number one, coronavirus from getting into the nursing homes, exposing people who are most at risk. And number two, we need to concentrate on on what I would call the mass spread. The idea that, you know, one person goes into an, who's infected goes to an event where there's two or three or four thousand people, interacts with several hundred, one person infects them and they go home and infect other people. That mass spread as opposed to, you know, a, a one-on-one sort of thing where somebody might get sick. And, and moving forward, I think that's what we need to concentrate on. But nevertheless, the, the mayor, He's still operating under the theories that we had out there a couple weeks ago. And and here's part of the reason why he's saying this. Um, 13,885 total cases in the entire state. Of those, a little bit over 5,600 come from Milwaukee County. I mean, a little bit over 5,600. So, you know, you you, you do the math, and that's not half, but it's it's close to half. Of of all the COVID-19 cases in the entire state, are coming from Milwaukee County. And of the cases in Milwaukee County, and this is one of the staggering things, 5,631 cases in Milwaukee County, of those, 4,387 came from the city of Milwaukee. The overwhelming percentage, what's that? That's over 70% of Milwaukee County's COVID-19 cases come from the city of Milwaukee. So while it's not New York, you can understand in some respects where Tom Barrett is coming from because Milwaukee continues to be an epicenter. That is the city of Milwaukee. And if you want to look at it from a different perspective, uh, again, almost 14,000 total cases in the entire state and more than 4,300 cases in the city of Milwaukee alone. I mean, you start to look at that, that's more than a quarter of the cases, well more than a quarter of the cases in the entire state come from the city of Milwaukee. So you can understand why the mayor is saying, look, we've, you know, we've got a problem here. And, you know, while he won't say it, numerically, the, the truth is that in most of the state, COVID-19 is sort of under control. But in, in the city of Milwaukee, if you just look at the raw numbers, you can understand why he says that he's not ready to, to open up the city. All right, fine. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If, if the city of Milwaukee is not ready to open up because there's too much concern that somebody who might be infected is going to go out and expose other people. And let's put aside the mass spread sort of thing. But if the justification for keeping restaurants and like that is closed, here, here is my question. Should the ban be extended further? What about the notion that somebody from the city of Milwaukee might be traveling this weekend out into the suburbs? What about the notice that they might be traveling into the exurbs, other other communities? And if it's too dangerous for them to go to bars in the city of Milwaukee, should it also then be too dangerous for that person to go to bars or other places outside the city? Now, the reason I ask this is because this is Memorial Day weekend, and New York State, for example, the beaches are open. And New York State, the city of New York, the epicenter, of course, of of, of COVID-19. And the city of New York isn't close to being reopened. It's not close to being reopened. The beaches are closed. So here here is the deal. In a number of surrounding communities that haven't been hit as hard as New York City, they are imposing restrictions which are designed to keep people from New York City 
to going into the communities. Let me share this. Westchester County, which is just north of the city, has restricted its beaches um, to county residents. You know, if you're going to go to this beach, you've got to be a county resident. In Groton, Connecticut, only residents can use the beach on weekends. Um, Long Island, which is very, very close to New York, officials in Long Island um, are saying that if you are a non-resident of the community, you are not allowed to use our beach. Now, it's, it's not just targeted specifically at people who live in New York City, but that's who it's really directed at. So they're saying, hey, we, we don't want you here, and we're not going to allow you to come here. Key West, Florida, has essentially been blocked off for the better part of the last two months. It is almost impossible to get there. They've got roadblocks that are up there, and if you... In order to go to Key West, in order to get past the roadblock, you have to be able to prove that you either live in Key West or that you work in Key West. So they've been trying to the best extent possible restrict the access of people who don't live there. So there's all sorts of legal issues that arise from this. But let's tee this up, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What would you think about an idea if other communities would say, hey, we're going to start checking IDs, and, and, and here's the deal. You come out to Waukesha, and you're going to have to show an ID to prove that you live in in Waukesha County or that you don't live in Milwaukee County or you don't live in the city of Milwaukee. What would you think about something like that? Now, there's there's legal issues that are created by this, but if if we can't safely open up the city of Milwaukee in the judgment of the mayor, right, do other communities have an interest in saying, okay, we, we, we want to restrict access to our places to locals? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And what would you think about that? And again, let's let's leave the legalities aside. There's there's all sorts of issues with that, but you know, a, a number of communities have been claiming incredibly broad powers under the idea and the ability to regulate public health. So, what about again businesses? For example, Waukesha would say, okay, businesses are open, but they're only open to people from Waukesha County, or they're only open to people who aren't from Milwaukee County. If you're from Milwaukee County, stay home. If you're from the city of Milwaukee, stay home. What would you think about that? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, WTMJ. That's our number, the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, here's a text. I'm concerned about the legality of what you're talking about, and I acknowledge there's legal issues. On a similar note, I'm surprised that Hawaii is getting away with what it's doing to other American citizens. Yeah, if you haven't been paying attention, Hawaii, if you're planning to go to Hawaii, don't, because you fly into Hawaii, and what's going to happen is you're stopped at the airport. You are made to turn over your cell phone, and then they call your cell phone to make sure it works. You, They verify before they let you leave the airport. They verify that you have a hotel room, and then you are put in quarantine for two weeks. You go to the hotel, you are only given a single-use key. So you can check into your room, you use the room, the key to get into your room, and then it's not good anymore. If you leave your room, you've got to go to the desk and convince them why you left your room. You're allowed to take meals in the room, but you're not allowed to go to the pools. You're not allowed to go out on the streets. I mean, extremely restrictive, but they're doing it to keep the virus off of the islands. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Brian in Franklin. Brian, you're on WTMJ. 
Hi, Tim. Hi, Brian. What do you think? Hi. Hey, as I said to your screener, who's going to police this? The, the city of Milwaukee homicide rate, I believe, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I think it's double where it was at this mm-hmm. point last year. The police have their hands full. They, they can't be at every intersection uh, around the city border, you know, checking for people's legal papers. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't Nazi well, Germany. What about, well, the flip, I, I don't think it would be the city of Milwaukee. What if, for example, like like they're doing in New York, what if Waukesha, for example, said, okay, we're, we're going to, as a condition of, of reopening these various businesses, the bars and restaurants, just in my example, you know, you've got to do, you know, you've got to do checks at the door, you know, just like you do age checks and stuff. And if it's anybody from the city of Milwaukee, you're supposed to turn them away. I mean, I think that's how you would do it, not expecting the cops to. What, what about that idea? I, I still disagree. I mean, yeah. we got a Memorial Day holiday coming up on Monday, and and what does Memorial Day represent? Mm-hmm. Military no, people sacrifices, that, uh, you right. know, sacrifice for our freedom, and now we're just throwing this away. You know, we started this on March 16th to flatten the curve, not to overwhelm the hospital system. That has not right. happened. We did not start this to eradicate this disease. It is unreasonable to expect us as a public to wait for a vaccine so we can go about our daily lives. So do you think the mayor is wrong in not opening and not allowing, for example, the bars and restaurants to open up in the city of Milwaukee like they're opening up in most of the state? Absolutely. I believe he's wrong. He's okay. Thanks for calling. I appreciate city. it. No, pre- no, pre- no, thank- thanks, Nicole. No, I appreciate it. And that. That's, I mean, that that's kind of the key. And I guess, look, I mean, are, are there significant legal issues to it? Yeah, but at the same time, keep in mind that just like you had government that that has claimed very, very broad powers over the course of the last couple months. I mean, think think what's happened. I mean, over the course of the last couple months, in the name of public health, in the state of Wisconsin, we've had over half a million people who who've, whose jobs have disappeared. You know, essentially, now, not all of those were closed by the government, but when you imposed like the restrictions, a lot of these other businesses closed. That, that's the government saying, in the name of public health, we're going to keep, you, we're going to close you, and we're going to keep you closed. And Tony Evers is still complaining that the Supreme Court said he overreached with that. Okay, so I mean, I just raised this question. I mean, in, in public health. There, the government has claimed all sorts of very, very broad powers. In New York this weekend, they are claiming the power to be able, in New York State, to be able to say, okay, if, if you live outside of our county, you can't come in. You can't use our public facilities. So th- this is, is what I'm talking about, and I'm not advocating it. I'm just trying to check the, the reaction of, of what people have. If If it's really too dangerous in the view of the public health officials in Milwaukee to open up bars and restaurants, all right, it should should the surrounding community say, well, okay, if, if Mayor Barrett thinks it's too dangerous for people in Milwaukee to be able to go out to these places, well, maybe we should say to people from Milwaukee, we're, we're not going to let you come here. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Live line. Let's talk to Ryan in Oconomowoc. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, I think it's sort of part of the, the surgical approach to things, and I think it it, it can go both ways. Um, you know, where a place like Milwaukee doesn't want people coming in because they don't want to overwhelm, you know, the flattening flattening of the curve thing. Um, you know, they don't want to overwhelm the hospitals, and and if there are counties that are you know right adjacent to those that they don't want people from those counties coming in for now, 
Um, I mean, you know, there's probably going to be some lawsuits about it and stuff, and they'll have to figure that out in courts, I'm guessing. But uh, I think that mm-hmm. that seems reasonable to me. You know, it's part of the uh, the whole surgical approach to opening things up, like containing and, um, you know. So, uh, yeah, it, does, it right. doesn't seem great, but it seems reasonable in the way things are now. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I and I, I kind of wonder how this is going to play out because you know the, the Milwaukee, Milwaukee County just now we're going to talk about it in a little bit just announced that they're not opening any of their public pools for for the summer. Okay, um, I don't mm-hmm. believe that there's a lot of suburbs that are following that. I know Grafton said they're not going to open their pool, but I think there's going to be other suburbs that, for example, open their pools. I guess the question is, what what if those suburbs said we're going to open them, but we're not going to we're only going to open them to Ozaki County residents, or we're only going to open them to Waukesha County residents, or, or whatever. You know, what, yeah. what would the reaction be? Um, I, and, See, to and to me, that seems very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, thanks for so calling. I, I appreciate it. it. I mean, I, no, I, I get it. No, I, no, I mean, see. You, you can make that argument that in the interest of, of public health, we're going to concentrate on, on where the greatest numbers are, and we're going to try to stop people from those, those epicenters from, from coming in. And, and again, I, I'm taking no position on this. That to me, it strikes me that there's huge legal issues in, in conjunction with doing this. But when you want to think about it intellectually, if, if Tom Barrett believes and then again, I understand. That's why I started this off with the numbers. If he believes, based on the numbers, that it is unreasonably risky for people in the city of Milwaukee to to go and, and, and sit in the bar, well, and, and that's fine. I, I get it. And I understand where the numbers come from from that. Well, okay, then do other counties have an interest in saying, well, we we if it's too risky for people who live in the city of Milwaukee to come to bars in Milwaukee, do we have an interest and a right to stop them from going to bars in our different community? Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I just throw this out because I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, what, what do you think about the whole idea of, of well, limiting I people? I think there's, there's one side of the fence and the other side of the fence. One side of the fence is... If it's a community-type property, i.e. the pools, i.e. the beaches, i.e. the parks and things like that, I see no issue at all with making somebody have to prove residency of that either city or county to be able to use those facilities. Mm-hmm. It happens, like right now, if you live in Waukesha, or if you want to use the incinerator plant in Waukesha to drop off your, your you know, whatever, right. your garbage um, and things like that, you have to show an ID showing that you're either, right. depending on what, you know what data is? Some are city residents, city residents only. Right. Other ones are county. Um, what's the difference? You know, really, when you get right mm-hmm. down to it, a beach or whatever else, or all, you know. Now that said, when you get to the other side of the fence, when you're talking about private businesses, um, bars, restaurants, and, you know, so on and so forth, right. there it gets to be a little bit more sketchy. Then you have to be able to kind of prove. Granted, the government does have the right to be able to use. You know, extra well, yeah, yeah. means of, you know, to protect. Well, right, because the government, right, the government shut them down. Yes, I mean, I, that, I, that, see, that's what I think to be interesting, because yeah. the government, you claimed all this health authority to shut down businesses, you know, for the for the last couple months. I get to me, well, it seems like it's a lot less of a restriction. That it's a lot less restrictive to say, okay, you can't let people from the city of Milwaukee in. I'm I'm not advocating it, but they they've kind of drifted from their their guideline at first was as the previous caller mentioned to be able to yep. 
you know, uh, flatten the curve and and, and yep. avoid the overwhelming of of hospitals and, yep. and so forth, so on and so forth. It seems now that that real nice line in the sand, so to speak, has gotten wider yep. and wider and wider, yeah. and that I think is the problem that they need to address. Is okay. What are yes. our goals? What are our objectives? You know, when we meet right. these criteria, you know that that's it. Criteria. Whether I, you use num- whether that it's it's a uh, anecdotal yeah. or it's actual, you know. I agree. I agree. I'm sorry. I got to let you go. So I'm kind of up against the clock. I mean, I agree with you completely. The, the, the whole justification two months ago was we have to flatten the curve. We have to stop the health system from being overwhelmed. It's it's now moved to we want absolute safety, and it does raise these various issues. Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, the breaking news is that Milwaukee County has just announced that all the Milwaukee County pools, with the exception of Hoyt Park, which isn't actually operated by the, the county, that's privately run, or it's op- operated by a nonprofit organization, all the other what they call deep water pools in Milwaukee County are not going to be open this summer. That includes Cool Waters Aquatic Park in Greenfield, Schultz Aquatic Park in Lincoln Park, Pelican Cove, Pulaski Indoor Pool, the Noise Indoor Pool, Washington Park Pool, McCarty Park Pool, Jackson Park Pool, Sheridan Park Pool, Holler Park Pool, Hales Corners Park Pool, Wilson Park Pool, and the Grobe Schmidt Pool as well. Those are all going to be closed. They are hopeful that they're going to be able to operate some of the splash pads that are there. They don't require lifeguards, um, but all the pools are going to be closed. There also will be no um, lifeguards at Bradford Beach. Um, what what they're the, what the county says is the reason we're doing this is because you've got the COVID nineteen pandemic that, that's going on. We've got the physical distancing recommendations that are still in place. We've got group sizes which are going to be limited. You put all that stuff together, and we're not sure that we can reopen the pools safely. And then on top of that, if we do reopen the pools, we've got to come up with lifeguards. And as we've talked about in the past, trying to come up with lifeguards to work at the pools is a challenge in the best of times. And they're pretty much saying we, we just don't know how we're going to get be able to get and train 300 lifeguards. So the bottom line of all this is we're closing it down for the summer. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Right? Is this the right call? In a number of the other counties, the, the pools are, in fact, going to be open. Now, there's some, for example, earlier this week, Grafton announced they weren't opening their pool. But there's a lot of pools that will be open. The county has kind of thrown up its hands and said, we just don't think that we can do this. Matter of fact, this weekend, there are some water parks which are opening up in some tourist areas across the state. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work. But 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the county throw in the towel too soon, no pun intended, in simply deciding that we're going to have to shut all this down for the summer. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take, and it might surprise you on this, I I, I don't find this to be a surprising decision a, at all. And given the fact that we've seen almost everything else 
that has the potential of attracting a large number of people to a given attraction, the fact that almost everything else has been has been closed. You've had festivals that are closing right and left. You've got you know concerts, small and large, that are closing right and left. You don't have any sort of plan at all to open up sporting events. Given all that, I am not surprised that the county ha- has done this because, you know, candidly, even though the virus doesn't you've got chlorine and all sorts of other stuff in the water, the, the nature of these swimming pools is it is almost impossible to social distance. So did, did the county overreact in closing these pools at this point in time and saying, okay, we're just right, we're going to write off the summer of 2020, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you are a user in particular of, of these various county pools, how do you feel about it? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, Milwaukee County has pulled the plug, no pun intended, on all the county parks. They say, not, not the splash pads, but all the parks, the pools, the pools, I'm sorry, they pulled the plug on the pools in the county parks. All of Milwaukee County Parks pools and water parks are going to be closed this summer, they say, because of all the social distancing rules. It doesn't look like it's going to work. On top of that, they say they're going to have a problem getting lifeguards. All right, was this the right decision? 855-616-1620. And was it made at the right time? For example, you, you didn't have to do it today. You didn't have to say, okay, we're, we're going to open by Memorial Day. You could have said, okay, well, we're going to hold off and we're going to see what it looks like and maybe we'll open for the 4th of July. Did they do the right thing? Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um, my think, thought is that they're doing, making this call way too early. And, uh, uh, I mean, chlorine kills the coronavirus. There's, there's no reason to do it now. Uh, it's the same thing between Milwaukee County. A bunch of the smaller municipalities are canceling all their rec programs this summer. Anything that has to do with that. My thought is that uh, if you're going to, if in Milwaukee County parks, if you're going to cancel all this stuff, anybody that's a full-time worker that's uh, part of the aquatics program ought to immediately be furloughed, laid off. Why do we need these people there if you're not going to run any programs? Same at the smaller municipalities. They're saying, oh, we aren't going to open the pools at all. We may never open the pools for recreation or anything. Fine, get rid of all these people. What are we paying them for? I guarantee if these people's jobs were on the line, their the decision-making might be far different than what we're seeing now. Well, thanks for the call. Well, I mean, the, the truth is it, I, I think there probably are going to be a, a lot of furloughs. So, I mean, I, I think that's going to be the next shoe that, that falls. I guess, I guess here's, here's my issue. I understand why... Some of the the events have had to cancel well in advance because there's a lot of planning that goes in with them. For you know, for for example, if you're running if you're running German Fest or you're running Festa Italiana, you you have to. It's it's not just here. We're gonna you know open the door one day. What you have to do is you have to line up the vendors and you have to sign contracts and you have to line up all the volunteers. There there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. It's what I think is ultimately going to, among other things, kind of doom the state fair because it, it takes months to get everything set up. Pools to me are, are sort of a different dynamic now. I understand the problem that the pools have with this because you you are correct 
that the, the chlorine in the pools kills them. I, it kills the disease. And, and there, there's, there's no suggestion that people have that it's getting transmitted by water, at least that I'm aware of. The problem, though, is, I mean, think about the pools in the summer. You, you have, you, you have they're, they're packed. And you, you don't you can't wear masks in, in in swimming pools and stuff. I mean, think of that. This is what I think the problem that the water parks are going to have. You can try to limit capacity, but still the nature of it is you, you don't se- you're not separated six feet. You know, in, in pools. I mean, you're you're uh, under certain circumstances. Could you limit it to to lap swimming? Okay, we're gonna you're gonna have to reserve it. You can res- swim in a lap here and here and here. And my guess is there's going to be area health clubs that that do that. Maybe country clubs and stuff that have their own pools or swim clubs that do it. But it's really tough to do that in a public pool setting. I mean, think about what happens on a hot day. You've got kids that are running around. You've got adults that are running around. Everybody's close to each other. It's almost impossible to practice social distancing. I guess my concern and my question is, why did you necessarily have to do this this now? Couldn't you have held this decision in abeyance for, okay, we're, we're, we're going to be closed for the month of June, and then we're going to reassess, and we're going to see what things look like after the 4th of July. And, again, because I believe that COVID-19 isn't going anywhere anytime soon, maybe that calculation would be the same. But I guess if I were to be critical of this decision, it would be the, the idea that we're going to close everything down now, Maybe could you wait till the 4th of July? And I'm not saying open it up in June, but maybe the picture is going to look different four weeks from now. And maybe you figure that you could open up some of these pools in a more safe fashion. Plus, even if you didn't open up all the pools, maybe you could get enough lifeguards that had been you know, working in the past and, and bring them back. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, let me get that speaker. Hang on. Um, this is as much a budget decision as it is a health decision. Milwaukee County is facing a huge, looming, yawning deficit, and the coronavirus stuff has only made it worse. And I reluctantly think that that they have to do it. But I, I think that it's a budget decision um, as much or more than just a straight-out health decision. Really, the fact that the, the pools don't pay for uh, the, what you're saying by budget decision is the, the pools don't pay for themselves. They're, and, and, and that's fine. Oh, I mean, it's Lord, a public no. service that, that's out there, yeah. So yeah. You just, what you think is going on here is that they just don't want to spend the money on keeping them open. I don't think they can. Milwaukee County is, the county's in trouble. So is the city um, in terms of budget. And if they've got it, I mean, in normal times, if the county board cut the swimming pools, you know what an outcry there would be. Um, well, just remember but, a couple I mean, years ago when they tried to cut a couple of the yeah. indoor pools, or we were going to close Noise Park yeah. or whatever, and, and my gosh, the, the, the outrage Moody. was incredible. Moody. Yeah. Right, right. So, but, but the coronavirus has provided an opportunity to do something that they probably have to do. I mean, I hate it. I love Milwaukee County. I live here. I've lived here for 43 years. Um, not planning to move, but uh, it's, it's tough times, and I reluctantly think they made the right decision. Thanks for the call, Lucy. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, that, of course, they're not, they're not, they will never acknowledge that, but, you know, you, and you are right to an extent because, I mean, I do remember, you know, a few years ago is is an effort to, ta- to say for budget saving. They were talking about closing this pool or that pool, and, and my goodness, the outrage was incredible. You, you can't close this pool. You can't close that pool. You can't do anything. People aren't going to have the recreation opportunities. So I, I'm glad it's 
not just me being cynical, saying, okay, maybe there, there's an effort to try to exploit. That's probably a hard, harsh word, but you know, t- recognize that, okay, you know, we don't have the money to kind of operate these. So what we can do now is we can, I don't know, close them. Now, here, again, and, and that would explain what my concern was as to why you make this decision now. Like I say, I mean, I, do I think right now, the way things stand, that it would be a good idea to open up the pools and allow hundreds and hundreds of people to pour in? And my answer would be no. I, I, I don't think that that would be a, a good idea. I'm now coming along to the idea of I, I don't think there's any problem, and there shouldn't be any problem, in opening up small businesses and opening up restaurants and things like that. But I keep going back to the idea of, of that the concept of mass spread, which is you know one infected person not just having contact with two or three, but going to a pool on a hot Thursday afternoon and having the ability to interact with three or four hundred. So instead of just like a one-on-one sort of thing, all of a sudden you've got a couple hundred people who might have gotten infected. I mean, that's what I think we do need to focus on, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's going to be a long time before you get some of these large public gatherings that are out there. You know, that being said, I mean, who knows what the world is going to look like in a month from now? Now, I, I... agree that it's, in my opinion, it's probably unlikely that we're going to have large gatherings. And by large gatherings, I mean, you know, several hundred that's greenlighted. I I just doubt that that's probably going to happen. But at the same time, you could at least kind of wait and see. But they've made the decision, boom, they're done with it right now. Tom in Waukesha. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, Hi, Tom. I'm not an extremist. I'm not an extremist either way. I, I'm a teacher. I was a lifeguard back in high school and college, and then I managed a municipal pool. Uh, so I've kind of been there. And I also have a daughter who's a dietitian at UW Hospital and Children's Hospital, so I, I you know, get perspective. Mm-hmm. But you absolutely have to keep these things closed for the public. But what about the employees? Uh, to say that chlorine kills, but only if you're in the water. And, um, right. You, you can't you can't delay and say, tell these lifeguards and other other employees. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, we, did we lose you. Are you still there, Tom? Okay. Yep, I'm still there. Can you hear me, Jeff? Okay. Yeah, got it. Well, okay. Let me ask you. Right. Let me ask you this. What about they're, they're for example, they're opening up water parks, you know, all across the state, mm-hmm. you know, o- over the next couple of days. Do you think that that's a recipe for disaster? Absolutely. As a as a lifeguard, there's no way I would want to be working around there uh, because of the exposure to me. And as a parent, when my kids are little, I would never take a kid there now. Right. And as a practical matter, see, I, I just it, it is interesting. Like with the pools, some people might say that you you could try to you know limit the number of people there. But but even so, the, the nature of pools is you, you don't social distance. How are you going to social distance with people who are in the water or people who are going down the slides and stuff? It, it seems like it's almost an impossible thing to do that. Yes, it is. And and take out all the other possible reasons why people want to throw up it that they're trying to do this. From the people who are involved, the lifeguards, the pool managers, standpoint alone, it's not a safe thing to do. And you don't think it's going to be safe tomorrow, and you don't think it's going to be safe six weeks from now? Well, I've got this crystal ball that I look into quite frequently, but it's not working real well right now. So (laughs) who knows? I mean, I I would think not. And And as a teacher and a coach, we don't even know what's going to be going on in August for school and things like that. So, 
much less to say in, in July for a swimming pool. Right. Congregation says amen. Thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. That's why I'm, and, and I'm not trying to be kind of a milly on this. I, I just, I understand why they're, I understand why, at least in the short run, they, they are closing this. Because I, I just, you, as, from a financial perspective, first of all, from a health perspective, it, it seems to me it's almost impossible to social distance and, and limit, and then if you, if the only way you can do that is by severely limiting the attendance, at which case it, it makes it just financially almost impossible to, to, you know, sustain this type of stuff. If you're going to say, okay, we're typically, we have 300 people, but now we're only going to have 75, and we're going to limit the pool to lap swimming, and you have to make arrangements to do that. At that point in time, you almost kind of shrug your shoulders and say, why bother? Again, to the extent I am critical of this, it would be unlike the festivals where you have a, a lot of intense planning that has to go in. Um, this is one where you know, could you say, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna wait on this. It's not ready to open it now, but we we want to wait till July fourth to see maybe we can do that, and maybe we're not gonna be able to open all the pools, but maybe we can open a third of them or, or whatever that would be. That if I was going to be critical of decision, that's what it was going to. That's what it would be. But the bottom line is, and this is just another one of these stories. Whether it's Fourth of July being canceled or Memorial Day events being canceled or whatever, this is just another one of those examples of how the summer of 2020 is going to be unlike any summer in most of our lifetimes. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, this is of course Memorial Day weekend. Monday is Memorial Day. We have a tradition here on WTMJ. It was a regular feature of my friend and colleague Charlie Sykes every every year on this day before Memorial Day, and I've tried to pick that up since Charlie left. We're going to um, at least devote one or two segments of the program to Memorial Day tributes. And so start thinking. If there's somebody that you'd like to, to do a tribute to, you're going to have an opportunity in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we've been talking a lot over the last couple months about stuff that, that's been closed and, and stuff that's not going to happen in this summer, whether it's the various festivals or whether it's county pools in Milwaukee opening up or whether it's fourth of july celebrations all of that it's just the reality of what we're living in now one of the things that's i think been incredibly unfortunate is the fact that this is memorial day weekend and traditional memorial day events are by and large off the table i mean normally in a normal year you will have over the course of the next couple of days you will have a number of ceremonies you will have memorial day parades you will have um wreath laying events you will have uh, events at, at various cemeteries um, acknowledging people who made the ultimate sacrifice for us and and those have been called off by and large as a result of the fact that we we don't want people congregating together it is extremely unfortunate that that has happened but again that's the reality that's there and you you have a lot of places that are trying to turn to you know virtual memorial day events and that's that that's fine as, as far as it goes but let's face it it's it's just not the same and i'm not going to argue given you know what's going on now and especially what should be our concern about the mass spread of, of COVID-19. I'm not going to argue at all that it's the best idea to get three or four or 500 people or a 1,000 people together around an event, particularly when a number of the people that are going to come out for Memorial Day events 
are are going to be candidly in some of the highest at-risk groups because we know COVID-19, a lot of people get it, you get sick, you get better. We, we know that the more extreme situations are for the people who are, again, older and who have underlying health problems. And, of course, it's, it's worse for people who are older and have the underlying health problems. So this is it's just the reality. It's a Memorial Day like no other. What we do here and what we've done for 20-plus well, years on the Friday before Memorial Day, we devote a segment or two to you to give you the opportunity to remember and recognize somebody close to you. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a close friend who served in the military who's no longer with us. And we'd like to give you the opportunity to do a sort of that, that shout out. Um, I, I know we have a, a broad audience. We have people who... Um, Still, there's still some of our World War II veterans that are around and our Korean conflict veterans and the Vietnam War veterans and then a number of the other, you know, wars that we've had since then. But our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, as we approach Memorial Day 2020, if there is someone that you would like to recognize do your shout-out for. This is your opportunity to do that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Dave in Brooklyn. Good afternoon. Hi, Dave. Huh? You're on the air, Dave. Go ahead. <laughs> Hello. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Dave from Brookfield. I just want to honor my uh, this my uncle and then had five sons that won the Second World War and then had a sixth son that was in Korea. Uh, one was killed in the Second World War and uh, and then one became a uh, ace pilot in the uh, Second World War and uh, and he's still alive in Colorado Springs and uh, and was a was a let's say an ace pilot and was a head of the strategic air command and taught at uh, Air Force Air Force Academy and then there wow. uh, there was uh, George and Bill and then Maynard was one he he went in at 16 into the Marine Corps uh, took his brother's name and got in and served the last two years of the war came out and then went to Pius and went back to school. The graduate graduated and became uh, all conference football player there, and is still honored at Pius uh, with a plaque for him. Uh, came back and went under the GI Bill at night school, and worked for the telephone company 45 years. Had five children, nine grandchildren, nine great grandchildren, uh, and then uh, married to Kay. It was say 65 years, and it was also an alderman in West Dallas. Uh, wow. That's Maynard. That's Peter Burr's. Yeah, Dave, thanks for the call. That's, that's, that's quite a note. Thanks for the call, Dave. That, that's quite a family of service. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it's important to do this just as we recognize that, you know, for, for a lot of people, I understand that Memorial Day is sort of the unofficial start of, of summer. I know technically it's not summer, but it's the time where people think, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to, this is, we've got that extra day off, and this is where we can start, you know, doing doing the gardening and getting the flowers out, and we can have our barbecues and things like that. And, and that's that's true, but we shouldn't lose sight of what Memorial Day is really all about. 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If there's some that you would like to recognize, this is your opportunity. Don in Plymouth. Don, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Hi, Don. I'd like to really honor, I'd like to honor Patrick O'Reilly. 
He served in the Navy. He was stationed over in Anzio, uh, fought in World War II. Just a great man. He passed away in, in 2013. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Don. Um, well, Anzio, it's just incredible. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment. If you'd like to join us, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Memorial Day 2020. If there's somebody that you would like to recognize, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, um, somebody who served in the military that's no longer with us, that's what our opportunity is here to do today. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with more in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A lot of the stuff going on for Memorial Day is is virtual, unfortunately, but we're devoting a couple segments of the program today to your opportunity to recognize, remember people close to you, maybe relatives, maybe friends who served and are no longer with us. Anita in Oconomowoc. Anita, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I would like to recognize my mother, my father, and my husband, who are all Marines. And all are no longer with us. Oh. Did did your did your did your mom and dad both did they serve overseas or did they did they were, were they in the country the whole time? Did, did your mom or dad serve overseas? Okay, I think we lost Anita. Anita, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Anita's recognizing mom and dad and her husband. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sarah in Delafield. Sarah, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, I'd like to honor uh, my Uncle Charlie, who was a glider pilot in World War II and was shot down uh, uh, at the Battle of the Bulge and is now buried in Belgium. And, uh, and then a cousin, uh, Mike, who was in, uh, killed in Vietnam, taking the place of a friend. And then my father, who served in North Africa and thankfully came back okay. So thank you for doing this. No, thank you for the call, Sarah. And, and again, this you, you know, I, one of the things that's I, I get chills when we do these segments. I, I do because, look, for for a lot of us, we take for granted all the freedoms that we have in this country. And I understand that we have disagreements, and I understand that there are divides between us. But I think one of the things that comes home a lot of times over Memorial Day is it gives us an opportunity to reflect back and realize that. That th- these freedoms were were hard fought, and that there were people. I mean, the story of her her uncle who was the glider pilot in World War Two and who died and is buried in in Belgium during the Battle of the Bulge, or um, you know the who, the person who died in in Vietnam. I mean, my my goodness gracious, it just it reminds you of the sacrifices that people have made in this country so we can enjoy our freedoms. Nancy in Manitowoc. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. I'd like to honor my uncle, Eugene Rue. He was the United States Air Force during World War II um, in the intelligence branch. He passed a few years ago at the age of 94, but his unit just received the Congressional Gold Medal last year. Um, wow. And then also my friend and co-worker, um, Captain Dave Lyon, sorry, um, he's an Air Force graduate, and he was killed in um, Afghanistan in 
27 December 2013 from an IED at the age of 28. Oh, my goodness. Um, Nancy, thanks, thanks for the call. No, no, don't be sorry at all. Thanks for the Don't be sorry. Nothing to apologize for. Thanks for the call and thanks for the tribute. You know, it's... Um, I think you know one of the the things we when when we when we think about Memorial Day and we we think about the the losses I think we we tend to re- remember people from you know World War II or for from the the Korean War or from the Vietnam War and, and sometimes there is this tendency to forget about some of the people who made the ultimate sacrifice in the more recent sort of situation so please don't nothing nothing to apologize for at all Dale in Janesville. Dale, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I want to give a hats off to my father-in-law, who was an Army medic in World War II. He landed at Omaha Beach, I believe. Um, He served there for three years. And I'm sorry, but... He got he got sick, and we home cared for him for three years till he passed away. But he was a tremendous man. Yeah, and I'm Thanks so for sorry the- for breaking up. No, don't be again, Dale. There's nothing. Thank thank you for the call. There's absolutely nothing to apologize for. Nothing at all. You know, you, you talked about the medics. Um, two two of my former golfing buddies both who passed away john and, and jim they were they were both medics and, and they were they, they were d-day plus three so um but they same sort of situation they they were medics in the army and you know they they spent the, the entire the the entire u.s portion of the war in in europe like i say d-day plus three and it was interesting because i always used to try to draw them out about their experiences and they'd be polite but they never really wanted to talk about them they just they just didn't want to to share and i maybe it was because it was so terrible maybe it was just because it was a part of their life that they had just kind of put away but um they, they were heroes as are so many other people as well we'll be back with more calls in just a moment if you're on the line please hold on this is jeff wagner back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner a couple of texts, Jeff. I'd like to remember my son Ryan, who served two tours of duty in Afghanistan, who passed away of PTSD earlier this year. That's from Carol. Um, Jeff, I would like to honor my mom, Irene Miller, who served during World War II. I was always so proud of her. She passed away in 2013 at the age of 96. Jeff, I'd like to recognize my brother-in-law, Patrick Hughes. He passed away in 2014. He served in the Army with the 101st Airborne Division for three years in the 60s. We all miss him. He was a man of integrity. Let's talk to uh, Gene in Milwaukee. Gene, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, yes. Um, I'd like to recognize my dad. Am I there? You're here. Yeah, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. I'm so sorry. I'm in my car. I wasn't sure if it was working. Um, I'd like to recognize my dad, Armin Carrion. He just passed away May 11th. He was 98 years old. Um, he was a World War II veteran and uh, retired as a full colonel from the Army Reserves. He was very active in the Army Reserves for years, um, and he also volunteered just at not only at his church, but 
wherever he was needed. He was just very selfless, and he was always willing to help others. He was just a great man. Gene, did you have an opportunity? Did you, did you talk in any detail with him about the, his his service and and the time he spent in World War II, or was that something that it just did, the subject he just didn't like to discuss, or it didn't come up? Well, my dad was he was stationed in France for a while and then in Germany, but he would always minimize his service because he never was on the front lines, and he always felt that. He didn't deserve, you know, the accolades that maybe other people did. Um, you know, he worked in General Eisenhower's um, group. Um, he was, um, you know, doing Morse code and all of those, more of the behind-the-scenes things. He also talked about his time peeling potatoes and doing a lot of other things, but... Even when we had yeah. the chance to go on the honor flight in 2015, which we did, he was kind of hesitant at first because, again, he always felt like, you know, I wasn't on the front lines. I don't, I don't deserve to go on the honor flight. And I'm like, yes, you do. You know, you were in World War II. Um, you know, you spent all those years in the Army Reserves. So he was very humble in that, in that respect. Yeah. Thank, thanks for calling, Gina. Thanks for remembering. So I think that's one of the things you find from people who've served, and it, it's it, it's not just the greatest generation. It's it's people who who served in the military in general. It's it's no matter what it is that that you did, whatever it is that that person did, there's always maybe this view that there's somebody else who did more, and so I, I'm not worthy of the recognition, and that that just couldn't be more. That couldn't be more wrong. Um, you know, everybody who served has made such a contribution. All right, I'm going to continue this for one more segment. We've got, as you might expect, we've got a number of calls. We're going to do this for one more segment before we move on. So if you're on the line, please hold on. I'm going to do my very best to get to you. And we're going to get a lot of number of texts, and I'll try to read some of those as well. But in anticipation of Memorial Day, your opportunity to recognize somebody who's no longer with us who, who served. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Welcome back. Let's go right back to the phone. Sue in West Dallas. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thank you, Jeff. I always look forward to this state to salute the men in my life. Uh, the oh, Cota Jarvie family, uh, my name is Sue Cota Jarvie, and there were three of them at Omaha Beach. Romy was in the gliders, 22 years old. 20-year-old Russell was a medic. 18-year-old Robbie was a tail gunner. Reuben was on a submarine at Pearl Harbor. There were five submarines there. Four got uh, shot, bombed out. One got away. He happened to be on the little one that got away. Ronnie was on a Midway aircraft carrier. Bill was on Luzon. Rick was in uh, Vietnam, uh, presently... uh, Russ was um, on an aircraft, no, no, on a nuclear submarine. He's a nuclear engineer on a submarine somewhere. My husband was on the, in Japan on the occupation. My brother was an uh, air uh, traffic controller in uh, Okinawa. My father was a 15-year-old medic 
in the First World War, and last but not least, well, not last, my grandpa, Truman DeForest Goodrich, was a six-year-old drummer boy in the Civil War, and last but not least, my husband, Reggie, was in the Army of Occupation in Japan. And I thank you so much for doing this. One more thing, I live at the village at Manor Park. We are all in isolation here, but we don't sit still, as you know, around our pond, um, we have flags for everybody with markers on them for um, members of who have lived here. And we celebrate that every Memorial Day. And the flags are all out and flying already. Sue, and, sounds uh, like you, you, you Sue, God bless you and God bless your family. Thank you for calling. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. That's the, what, you, what, what do you say to something like that? I mean, really, when you look, think about... What, seriously, what do you say? And it just, I mean, imagine what she's talking about, where you have uh, three brothers who are, are, are all, you know, at, at D-Day. I mean, just think about, think about that. And then the service in the Pacific Theater. I mean, it's just, it, it sends chills up and down your, si- uh, your spine. Let's talk to Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Quite a follow-up to Sue, I'll tell you. <laughs> wow. Uh, my and I call every year, and I really appreciate you doing this. And I and I get mushy every year, and I'm sorry. Uh, don't you don't need to apologize, I, my friend. My my dad, I'm a Vietnam vet. Uh, my dad was in the 101st Airborne. He made the parachute assault into Holland. Uh, he fought at the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, he returned. Uh, he was raised in Chicago, but returned to Chicago and then uh, relocated to Miami, Florida. He served the community in Miami, Florida, in law enforcement for 33 years. Uh, he was selfless to the bone uh, and a great father. Let me ask you the same thing I asked a couple other people. Did, did, your, your, did your dad talk about his service and his experiences with you very much? Never. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Th- thanks for the call, Bob. I, I, no, I appreciate. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. I, 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 yeah, I, I think that you 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 see that uh, a lot. That's again one of the things that that happens. Just people just don't want to talk about it for whatever reasons. Jeff and Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, I'm calling to honor my father, Richard, who was a major in Long Bin, Vietnam, doing head and neck surgery, and he un- uh, he sadly passed away. Uh, five years ago from Agent Orange-associated illnesses. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Did he talk about his experiences in in country a lot with you? He didn't go really into graphic details, but he did tell a couple of, like, kind of sort of amusing stories. Like, for example, he said that, that when he interacted with officers that if somebody outranked him, that he would say, hi, I'm I'm Dr. Dr. Richard, and then right. if somebody did not outrank him, he'd say, I'm Major Richard. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I guess that's, I guess that's, that's you, you do what you've got to do to get by. That's pretty funny. Uh, Jim in Lisbon. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Hi, Jim. I'm well, thank you. Who would you like to recognize? Good. Yeah, I'd like to re- recognize my father, Robert, uh, Staff Sergeant Robert F. Chaddock. United States Army Air Corps. He was a radio operator flying subwatches out of San Francisco. 
uh, spent most of the time there. He was supposed to be uh, going to Italy. However, he didn't. He got a medical condition, and they wouldn't let him go. So he finished his tour in uh, in San Francisco. And also, my my uncle Jerry, uh, he was a lieutenant, also in the United States Air Corps. He was a B seventeen pilot. He was. Right. Me, sorry. Uh, no. He was shot down twice. He made it back. Well, so. thanks. Thank Those you are my tribute, call, John. I, sorry, I was sorry. No, I pre- no, no, don't be. John, you don't have to, look. This is you don't have to ever. Nobody has to apologize for for getting mushy or whatever. This is. This is the time when people go back and and have those recollections. John in New Berlin. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Thanks for doing this again. I, I have yes, a cu- couple. I wanted to recognize my dad who passed away in 2013. He served in Korea in the United States Navy. And just uh, uh, a friend and past neighbor of mine, um, Ray Price, served in the United States Navy World War II. Just found out he passed away. I hadn't seen him for a while passed away uh april 29th this year so thank you thanks thanks for the call i appreciate it let's let me do a couple texts um uh i'd like to recognize my dad his name is john he passed away february of this year served in the navy the korean war on the aircraft coral sea in the mediterranean he was a captain's first helper um let's see uh let's see um number of people texting, recognizing Sue and, and her family. I don't want to let the segment end. Um, I, I want to recognize my father, who passed away a number of years ago. He was uh, did not serve overseas. He was in the Marines during the Korean War, was scheduled to go to Korea, and then got reassigned and ended up. He was a drill sergeant in, in the Marines. That that was my dad, uh, Jack Wagner. So I want to shout out as well to him. Thank you for, for all the different tributes. And, again, I, I like to do this to give people a, a, a chance to – help remind all of us as we enter the Memorial Day weekend, like I said earlier, it's a time for us to be with our families. It's a time for us to start thinking, oh, my gosh, summer is coming on. We can have the picnics. We can enjoy all those things. But at the same time, we do need to recognize that, you know, the the freedoms that we enjoy, um, they they were paid for, and they were paid dearly for by a number of people, including some of the tributes you heard today. So that's our Memorial Day tribute. Thank a veteran over the weekend if you get a chance. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. It's always... I love doing that segment every year for a lot of the reasons I expressed. It's always one of those where it, it, once we get finished with it, it's a tough transition into something else because you just you, you, you hear how emotional people get and how important it is to people. Just a couple more texts. Jeff, I'd like to recognize my mom and dad. They were both staff surgeons, staff sergeants in the Marine Corps during World War II. My mom was one of the first women staff sergeants. Huh. How interesting. Jeff, I'd like to give a shout-out to my uncle, Frank Foyt, who served in Vietnam and passed away from cancer in January of 2019. Um, you know, and again, I, Veterans Day, I, we do something similar to this on, on Veterans Day as well. I have, um, I was a little bit too young for the Vietnam War, but a, a number of my friends, and you guys know who you are, did, did serve in various capacities. And I, I always apologize for being nosy and asking some of the questions that I ask about what the experience was like. But I, it, it's just, I, I hope you know how much I appreciate your service and for 
Joe and for Mike and for Glenn, how much I, I treasure your your friendship and I and the sacrifices that that you you made. So um, this is Memorial Day. Thank a veteran and uh, just remember the purpose of this. I we're going to now kind of switch gears into some other stuff as we go into the Memorial Day weekend. I, I do admit, and I mentioned this yesterday, and there are see there there are issues out there when I'm when I'm trying to formulate. The, the program and decide what I would like to discuss with you. I, I the, the question I always ask myself is, gee, do I think this story is interesting? And do I think that, why do I think it's interesting? And then will I believe that you will figure it interesting? I mean, those are the questions that, that I ask. Because there's, there's stuff that I might find interesting that I, I recognize is just sub, something that, 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 that you probably won't. So I always try to balance that stuff. And then on the flip side of this, there, there are stories that, the mainstream media obsesses over, just absolutely obsesses over. And I look at it and I say, well, I, I know people are, are talking about this because it's been made a story by CNN or whatever, but I just, I, I just don't get it and I don't care. And, you know, one of the stories that, that just refuses to go away is that the story about President Trump and his trip yesterday to Detroit and his decision that at least for a portion of the time that he was visiting the, this auto factory, he this Ford plant that's now making ventilators, that he declined to wear a, a mask. All right, now th- this, if you watched CNN last night, you would have thought that this was the only story going on in the world today. I mean, let's. Let's not worry about, you know, the, the number of people getting sick from COVID-19. Let's not talk about the death totals. Let's not talk about, you know, whether there's a, a virus on the horizon. Let's not worry about and analyze all the people, the millions of people who've lost their jobs as a result of the, the pandemic. And for many of those people, the, the jobs aren't coming back. If you watch CNN, it was one story after another where they were just obsessing on the idea of, of President Trump and the fact that at least for a portion of his visit there, he didn't wear a, he didn't wear a mask. It was this was the overriding story. And then, of course, you have the Attorney General of the State of Michigan and the Governor of the State of Michigan who takes shots at President Trump. And then the President goes to Twitter and he responds, lashing back. And it's this entire you know give and take that is going on. And as a matter of fact, I have in front of me, I have a stack of at least. I would say there is at least seven articles in various, various news sources, ranging from the Washington Post to the New York Times to the CNN website that obsesses on this, to Fox News, to all these things, just focusing on this. And to me, you know, we used to do an open where I, I, would, I would use the phrase squirrel, which is, of course, the, how easily distracted people get. And, and this whole discussion, and I understand there is an issue with, with masks and some people refusing to wear them and other people wearing them, and it gets people all worked up about the, these things, and I, I understand that. But, I mean, the truth of the matter is, you know, President Trump, who is tested on a daily basis to determine whether he's positive for coronavirus or, or not, you know, President Trump, you know, who is separated from a lot of people, that the chances of him being infected, number one, and then number two, infecting somebody else at this plant are probably slim to none. That, that is kind of the reality about this. So what we're talking about is mostly something that is symbolic one way or the other. And from the perspective of the president, uh, he, I think, 
you know, he's been kind of a poo-pooer on the whole mask thing, so he doesn't want to be told what to do by the governor of Michigan or the attorney general of Michigan. You know, he feels it's safe to do that. Now, the flip side is, you know, you have people who aren't fans of the president who are like, look, the rule that for everybody else is you wear a mask, that's the rule at the Ford plant, if you're the president of the United States or you're the guy that, you know, sweeps up after the, the work shift ends, everybody's supposed to wear a mask, you could wear a mask. I understand that reasonable people could come down and take either one of those particular positions. I, I get it. But if you look at all the newsprint that has been spent, all the trees that have died to build the stories, and, and all the time that has gone into covering this one way or the other, you kind of wonder you know, where this obsession kind of comes from. And you do want to think, look, there's so many more significant things that are going on in this world today. And if you want to find ways to praise President Trump, there's ways to do that. If you want to find ways to criticize him, there's ways to criticize him. But for the love of God, can we get past whether or not he wore a mask when he met these auto workers in Detroit yesterday? Who cares? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you spending your Friday afternoon with me. I, I sent out a couple tweets. If you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 on Twitter. I try to highlight some things sometimes that we talk about on the program, sometimes things that just strike me as being interesting. And I will continue to do that over the course of the weekend. I'm off for the next couple of days, but uh, be sure to check out Twitter. Uh, we started the program off with this, This I, I think it's an interesting argument at least, um, in the city of Milwaukee, city of Milwaukee is still of course closed down. The, the mayor has decided that he thinks it's unsafe to allow bars and restaurants to open up. He's following metrics that, well, not too many other people are following, but that, that's okay. Because the truth of the matter is, there. if you look at the city of Milwaukee in particular, it's where a, a large chunk of the coronavirus cases come. Matter of fact, I think if you look at the positive numbers, about 31% of the coronavirus cases statewide come from the city of Milwaukee. It's an enormously high number. So I understand the mayor's concern. Well, what they're doing in some states, like in New York, there, where New York City, of course, is an epicenter, a number of surrounding communities are saying, People from we're open, but people from New York are not welcome. For example, if you want to go to a beach in Long Beach, um, in Long Island, you're you're going to have to prove that you are a resident, a Long Island resident. If you're a New York City resident, you're going to be turned away. And so, you know, we had an interesting discussion in the first half hour of the program of, you know, would would that make sense here? If the mayor of Milwaukee believes it is unsafe for people in the city of Milwaukee to go to a bar and a restaurant in Milwaukee, you know, should should other communities consider? maybe imposing restrictions and saying, all right, look, we, we don't want people from the city of Milwaukee here, and maybe we're going to check IDs or whatever. I, I, there's, to me, legal issues with that, but at the same time, you have a number of politicians who've argued that under the guise of maintaining public health, they have very, very broad powers, and that's what officials in New York State are doing to try to keep people from New York City out. What about I mean, people from Illinois in the Chicago area that's been hit even harder than the city of Milwaukee. And you've heard the stories about how you have all sorts of people from Illinois that have been flooding up into Wisconsin, hitting Lake Geneva and things like that. All right, you know, should should Walworth County consider imposing a ban saying, hey, we're, you know, people from, you know, Illinois aren't welcome for the foreseeable future. I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying it's sort of an interesting argument that's there. And if you want to see some of the legal justification for it, I, I tweeted out a link to the story talking about how some communities are doing this. 
I also sent out a, a tweet, and it's you almost have to see it to believe it. I am the the least one of the least politically correct guys in the world, but but Volkswagen came out with this internet ad that, that just the the other day. It's it's a ten second video, and what they have is they have this like, all right, it, there there's a a dark skinned man who's like standing by a, a a VW, and what happens is this giant white hand. I mean, think like 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 thing from the the Adams family, kind of descends from the sky, and and what it does is it uh, like grabs him and pushes him towards a doorway, and then flicks him inside. And you know, they, they, they posted this, and of course, as soon as this goes up, a lot of people are immediately saying, what's going on here? I mean, you know, don't, don't you realize some of the potential racist overtones to this? At which point in time, VW says, oh yeah, maybe, maybe nobody thought about this. To which, again, this is my perspective as, as somebody who, again, one of the least politically correct guys in the world. But really, when VW came out with this, what could they have been thinking or not thinking? And you can check that out. I've got a link to everything on Wagner and my Twitter account. It's at JeffWagner620. When we come back, it's the 2 o'clock hour of the Friday program. We have some fun stuff to take you into the Memorial Day weekend. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the 2 o'clock hour of the Friday program as we lead into the Memorial Day weekend. All right, we're going to talk about some pop culture things this hour of the show leading up to <clears throat> Pop Culture Corner, which runs about 2.30 this afternoon. Okay, there, there's... It is a trend that started a couple years ago, but I think one of the things that surprised a lot of people is is not just that the trend has continued, but how fast the trend has continued, and that comes with with automobiles. Now, look, I I, I understand that you know over the course of the last couple months, now people probably haven't been thinking of a lot about new cars or things like that, but but at some point in time. Relatively soon, I think you're going to see some pent-up demand, and I think you're going to see people going out and, and purchasing cars. Maybe it's used cars. There's a glut of used cars out there right now, or maybe it's going to be the new vehicles. One of the things, though, that we are starting to see is that when people are going out to purchase vehicles, the vehicle of choice, at least the type of vehicle, is, is an SUV. You know, for, for about two decades... The best-selling passenger vehicle in the United States was the Toyota Camry, right? That, that's it. In 2019, Toyota's RAV4 sport utility vehicle took the passenger crown with normally about 450,000 sold, putting it in fourth place over, you know, um, overall behind various pickup trucks. Then there was the Honda CRV. Then there was the Nissan Rogue. Then there was the Rogue Sport. But here's what's interesting. SUVs made up 40, almost 48% of U.S. sales in 2019. Sedans made up 22.1%. Now, let me just, just let that, that sink in. 47% of sales went to SUVs. Sedans had 22%. And to give you a little per- per- perspective, the first time that SUV sales exceeded sedan sales, 
passenger car sales was was 2015. So in the space of four years, you've you've seen that number. It's not only a trend that's continued, but it's a trend that this almost you know more than doubled. And there are estimates that out there, are out there that say that in the next five years, by 2025. They think that uh, the light truck segment, including SUVs, vans, and pickups, that's going to be about 80% of all automobile sales. So when you add in, again, the vans, the pickups, and then you factor in SUVs, 8 out of 10 vehicles sold in the United States, they predict, are going to be those type of vehicles, leaving a very small comparative market for the passenger cars. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, you're, you're listening to a guy right now who drives an SUV. I, I drive a small SUV, but I, I, drive, I drive an SUV. I've driven SUVs as my principal car. I've driven them probably since the mid-1990s. I've told this story on the radio before, but um, my, my wife had an older model passenger car that, that needed to be replaced. She needed a new car desperately. So I said, look, you know, you here, get what do you want? You know, we can we can afford it within reason, you know, knowing that she wasn't going to go crazy on something. I said, you know, get what you want. And she said, well, you know, what I really want is I like driving your SUV. I like the fact that it sits up higher. I, I just... I have better visibility. I like the added storage that's there. It's great to go to the store. You just open the cargo thing. She said, I tell you what, the deal is, why don't you just let me have your car and you go buy yourself you know, any car that you, you want. You know, you just get it for yourself. And I thought about that for a couple minutes, and I kind of decided, you know, I'm just not... I'm not ready to give up my SUV. I like my SUV. <clears throat> so what we did is we ended up buying her, uh, you know, a, a new SUV. So now we are a two SUV family. But that's that's becoming more of the norm than it is the exception. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. More and more Americans are getting away from the passenger automobile. Here is Here is my question. If you have made the switch from, say, a passenger car to an SUV, do you see yourself going back? If you're still driving a passenger car, do you think you're going to continue doing that? Or are are SUVs now pretty much a permanent part of the landscape, and is this going to be what the future is? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will there always be passenger cars? Probably. Will they be a smaller and smaller segment of the market? I think the answer is for the foreseeable future, yes. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Have you made the switch to the SUV? And if so, do you see yourself going back anytime soon? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back with more in a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I, I find the numbers fascinating. 2015, which really wasn't that long ago, that was the first year that the sales of SUVs exceeded the sales of passenger vehicles. And, and over the last four years, what you see now is that SUVs make up about 48% of the sales in the U.S., and uh, sedans are 22%. I mean, it's, it's just been this, this incredible thing. As somebody who drives a, an SUV, I, I have to tell you, I don't think I could go back. And, and there's a lot of reasons for it. I think um, for, for me, 
I, I'm six one. It's easier for me to get into and out of an SUV than it is um, for a car. Not to say I can't, but it's easier for me to do that. Um, we, I like the added visibility. You know, we were in Florida a couple months ago, and we rented a, a car, and, and yeah, I, I could drive it, and it was fine. But I, it's just from a sight line, from a visibility perspective. I just, I enjoy being in the SUV more. Plus, I do, I'm not somebody that hauls a lot of stuff necessarily, but I do like having that that extra room when you've got to throw in a couple extra sets of golf bags or whatever. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this trend going to reverse itself anytime soon? That is, people choosing SUVs over um, sedans or passenger cars? I, I don't think so. Chris in Kenosha. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Hi, I think, I think you know, I mean, I've, I'm a truck guy. I've always had a truck. Um, I bought an SUV once, and that lasted about two weeks, and I had to trade it in and get, a, get another truck. But anyways, uh, I think gas kind of dictates a lot of things, though. I mean, if we see gas go back up to four, yeah. $4 a gallon, people might think otherwise. Yeah. No, I, and thanks for calling. No, I, I think, you know, it's funny. There there was, I, when I was leading into this topic, I was trying to think in my mind, what what is it that might generate people to, to make the switch the other way? And, and that is, you know, go back to look at the last time there was really an explosion of a passenger in the smaller cars, and, and that is, you're, you're exactly right. If gas gets to the neighborhood of 4 bucks a gallon, maybe people are starting to rethink that. Now, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because we've, we've got a glut of, of oil in this world, and that glut isn't going to go anywhere. I mean, I, I understand that now with fracking and all, the, you have the ability, to you know we in the United States have the ability to produce oil domestically and th- there's a lot of opportunities for that now we still import stuff because in some cases since there's such a glut out of the Middle East it, the oil is is actually cheaper to import but the bottom line is I don't think I don't think we're going to be looking at four dollar a gallon gasoline anytime soon and I think given all the other stuff the convenience that you get from whether it's the visibility or the comfort or the, the added sense of security, maybe, maybe it's just the sense of security, but I tell you, I, um, my, my late wife had a, had a VW Beetle. It was a fun little car, and boy, it had a ton of pickup there. I mean, it's, you, all of a sudden, you're driving this thing, and you go, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize I was going as fast as I did. So it was a fun little car to drive, but I always, whenever I was driving it, I always felt incredibly vulnerable because you're in this kind of tiny, small car. Now, maybe... Maybe I understand, like VW, for example, produces a, a product that's incredibly crash-worthy and things like that. So maybe it was just like a false sense of security. But still, I, I like to be surrounded by the SUV. Okay, some text. Jeff, for over 40 years, I drive. I drove either a pickup or a Suburban. Two years ago, I went back to a standard sedan, and I love it. I don't have the ground clearance or the towing capacity, but my Accord is awesome. Also, I'm six foot four, and I think I fit better in my Honda Accord than I did in my uh, Chevy pickup. Jeff, I'm a medical device salesman. Our company used to offer a minivan or sedan. Now they offer a minivan or two smaller SUVs. We don't even have the choice. Um, let's see. Jeff, I gave my daughter a car and bought a new truck. It's higher, four-wheel drive with the front bench seat. It has more seating than a car. It has a bed to haul stuff. Well, I think there's that appeal, too. Jeff, I've been an SUV owner for years. I will never go back to a sedan. Too hard to get into and out of as I get older. Yeah, there is a little bit of that. Jeff, I bought my first SUV seven years ago. 
Then I bought a passenger car. I had it for eight months. Then I bought another SUV. I won't ever go back again. Jeff, I went from a 2004 Chevy Cavalier to a 2014 Chevy Equinox last night. Um, we have a Denali that has almost 500,000 miles on it as well. Th- this is the trend. Jeff, I have a Ford Edge, but no way would I have two SUVs. When I replace my Buick, it will be another car. Sooner or later, gas prices will go up, and two SUVs would be costly to fuel. You know, at the same time, I, I will tell you, as somebody who, who drives an SUV, I get pretty darn decent gas mileage. It's, it's not like the days... Uh, the old days where you were getting, you know, 18 miles a gallon or something like that. Jeff, never going back to a sedan. I can't get through snow with sedans. I bought my first SUV two months ago. Yeah, I think a lot of people are kind of coming to that conclusion. Paul in Wauwatosa says, Jeff, I've got a, both a sedan and a minivan. I much prefer the van to the car. I prefer the chair height seats in the minivan. I use the car only for very short trips in town to store things like that. Jeff, I'm in the minority, but I still drive a minivan when I need to carry people's stuff or tow things because it's the most flexible situation. I like it even better than the SUVs. That said, I bring out a convertible only in the summer for fun, but I'm not an SUV guy. Jeff, gas mileage? My SUV gets four... 42 and a half highway miles per tank. New SUVs are great on gas. Yeah, that's what my experience of all that has been as well. So bottom line is, you know, these these numbers are out there. And, and what you're starting to see, matter of fact, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, pickup trucks, that, that segment of the market, that's starting to explode as, as well. So you have pickup trucks, just that segment, which were outselling passenger cars. You know, SUVs have always outsold the pickup trucks, but you add pickups in with the SUVs, and you're, you're, you're going to be talking about eight out of every ten vehicles in the United States that are sold are going to be that type of vehicle within the next couple of years. It has been an amazing transition. There's still always going to be room for passenger cars, though, but it's going to be more and more of a niche. Don't be surprised. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Well, I I am going to be fascinated, as long as we're talking about pop culture trends, I'm going to be fascinated to see how this plays. It, it used to be, of course, that you just had the over-the-air stations that you watched TV on. And then you had cable television that came around, and you had the 200 different channels that you would pay for and you would subscribe to. And then you had more and more people starting to cut the cord because you had the various streaming services. And, of course, the, the most prominent streaming service is, is Netflix. And Netflix um, is seeing just a, a huge surge in, in part over the last couple months because <clears throat> people are stuck at home. And people are looking for different ways that they can, you know, entertain themselves. And one of the things that they're doing is turning to the streaming services. And at the same time they turn to the streaming services, some people end up, you know, cutting the cable and things like that. So what's happened is now recognizing that there is a, that there's a market for this, you have more and more companies that are jumping in trying to figure out how we can get a piece of this market. Now, Netflix which I have, you perhaps have it as well. Netflix, the basic Netflix charge is 13 bucks a month, 12.99. Okay, you now have Disney, 
which has rolled out their own streaming service, which is Disney Plus. And, you know, that's got a lot of the Disney movies on it. Um, plus, it's got a lot of the the a, the um, ABC programming. And, and they charge six ninety nine for for that. But the big entrant now into the whole streaming services is HBO Max. Now, HBO Max is going to be a high-end thing. It's going to cost... 15 bucks a month in comparison to uh, again the the 12.99 a month that that Netflix charges and it, it's kind of it, it's tough to sort of figure out how this works because if you're a current subscriber to HBO you can get HBO Max at no extra charge through their the service they have now called HBO Now or if your pay TV distributor has a deal to offer the new services service. If not, you have to drop HBO from your current service and then subscribe directly. Um, but you know what they want to do is they want to make HBO Max available on all the different you know satellite and cable streaming services. But they're, they're going to be charging you know 15 bucks a month for this. It rolls out next week, which is May 27th, and it's getting a lot of attention because it's going to have a number of things. HBO Max is going to have Friends. Friends, of course, has left Netflix. It's going to have a number of new programs as well. They call them Max Originals, and it's going to have a lot of the um, HBO stuff that's there. If you want to watch The Sopranos, for example, you're going to be able to see that. So you're going to have Friends. You're going to have The Sopranos. You're going to have a number of things as well. And of course, one of the big issues that's out there is will will people figure that there is enough value to this now $15 a month streaming service that they're willing to drop Netflix, that they're willing to, um, again, drop their HBO if they have to do that. There's all these different questions that are out there. And then the other issue is going to be with, with all the different choices that you have, you've got ESPN Plus, you've got Disney Plus, you've got HBO Max, you've got Netflix, and then you've got Hulu, you've got Amazon Prime, you've got all these different streaming services. The question really <clears throat> starts to become, how much are people going to be willing to pay for all this? And are people going to get into a situation where they just... You end up signing up for all these different things, and then you find you you don't watch them. I know about a month and a half ago, we we signed up for Hulu for the first time, and the the first 30 days were free. And, you know, we had that 30 days to decide, is this something that we're going to watch enough to use? And as it turns out, it it does, because there's all sorts of stuff on Hulu that... I like, but in particular, and this is the more important thing in the Wagner household, there's all sorts of stuff on Hulu that my wife likes, which means, you know, we're going to have that. I'm not willing to drop Netflix at this point in time, but, you know, given that, do you need all these other services that are out there? It seems to me that there's going to be winners and losers, but this, in some respects, really is the, the golden age of entertainment when it comes to all the different streaming services that are out there. I just think people have to end up being smart consumers. But if you've been hearing about HBO Max and wondering when it's going to hit, well, it hits next week on the 27th. Will it be a success? My guess is yes, short term it will be. Does it it have legs? I don't know. Time will tell.